We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Welcome to the Butting Heads Podcast from Ramstalk Radio. I'm Steve Ribeiro. As always, I'm here with Johnny Gomez and making his Butting Heads debut, Josh Kolak. Guys, uh, we're all from different parts of the country. I'm from the, out here in the New York area. Johnny's from L.A. Uh, Josh is in here repping his St. Louis hat. And one thing we can all agree on and be happy about, it's been a pretty shitty week for Boston, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm a pretty big fan of it, too. Let's keep this trend going, man. The Blues win the Cup. The Lakers get Anthony Davis. All is right in the world. Bad things for Boston. Good week for L.A. and St. Louis. So uh, a rare uh, Rams combination there. Everyone doing good. (laughs) Uh, But we got got a good show for you guys tonight. We're going to go over the biggest questions for the Rams at every position heading into the 2019 season. I recently wrote an article about this on Ramstalk.net. I'd say it's a shameless plug, but that is this is literally a podcast for the website, so it's I wouldn't even call it shameless. Uh, go ahead and read that if you haven't, and even if you haven't and you don't want to read for whatever reason, uh, we're basically going to go over everything here. So, But before we get into it, guys, make sure you're following us wherever we get you get your podcasts, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM, Radio Public, and Spotify. If we're not somewhere where you get your podcast, we'll get there. Just let us know. And wherever you're listening, please give us five stars. And, of course, you can find us on the Clutch Points app. And don't forget to check out our other shows, Rams Talk Radio and Rams Uncensored. Uh, Norm Hightower returned to Rams Talk Radio this week, which 
Uh, I think it's been a while for Norm. But all right, we can get right into it, guys. I'm going to say the questions that I thought were the biggest questions. You guys feel free to let us know what you think the answers are or if you think there's a bigger question at play. Um, so question number one, we're going to start at the top. We'll go offense and defense. Start with quarterback. Man in the middle, Jared Goff. Uh, the question at quarterback, I think, is how high can he fly? How how much better can Jared Goff get? In year one, he wasn't good. Year two, he was good. Year three, I'd say he was great. Uh, he won us some games by himself, basically. He made some of the best throws I've ever seen. Josh, I'll start with you. How big of a stride can this guy take? Because even if he doesn't take another stride, he's still one of the better quarterbacks in the league, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that uh, quarterback is one of the hardest positions to transition from college to the NFL. Obviously, his rookie year was not great. That was under Jeff Fisher. Whole different scenario with Sean McVay. I think that that's really helped him grow as a quarterback. And generally, we see positions like quarterback, tight end, those kind of take three, four years to kind of really hit, you know, really be able to evaluate where they are as a player fully. And Jared Goff's entering, to me, in a way, that third year because I feel like his rookie year was kind of a mulligan because of the terrible situation he was in. Yeah. So for me, I can – yeah, yeah. So for me, I definitely see top five quarterback in the NFL potential with him. He's not there yet. But, again, third year, I I think that he ends up taking, you know, the next the next few steps and, and really – um starts to cement his legacy as a Rams quarterback and kind of get people to show him a little bit of respect around the league. Johnny, what do you think? You know, as far as golf is concerned, I, I think he showed us his true colors this past year on what he's capable of doing, especially in Sean McVay's offense. That That's literally been the key for Jared Goff is that he progresses in such – a beneficial offensive scheme and it's only going to get better as the team gains chemistry as it starts to progress I mean really when you think about it the offense hasn't changed a whole lot other than the offensive line of course but if we're going to talk about like the the offensive weapons Jared Goff himself uh, we still have Sean McVay as the head coach overall it's still the same core players so that's exactly what you want and as these guys continue to gel, as, as they start to continue to have this kind of chemistry, that's exactly what you want heading into what's supposed to be his prime of his career. So uh, I only see him getting better, personally. Yeah, I'm with you both. Uh, to me, it's just how much better can he get? He's already really good. And you know, Josh, you mentioned the first year was, was pretty much a mulligan. I, I'm with you on that. But at the same time, it happened. And in year one, he was bad, even though, you know, most players would have been bad there. But the strikes he made from year one to year two can't be ignored. And then even from last year to, or sorry, two years ago to last year, uh, you know, the numbers are eye-poppingly better. Uh, His yards went up a lot. His touchdowns went up by four. Interceptions went up too, but he was throwing the ball a lot more. But you could tell, like, there were... Anyone who watched him in both years, there were clear improvements. I think his pocket presence got a little better. Uh, he was making a lot of bigger throws. Uh, he didn't shrink in the moment, except in the Super Bowl, but a lot of people shrunk in that moment. It wasn't just him. 
But, you know, you look at the Kansas City game, you look at the New Orleans game, you even look at the Dallas game. He stepped up to the plate big time. He won us a lot of games. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how much better he gets. But honestly, uh, even if he stagnates and he's the same player as he was last year, he's still a guy I want to keep around and pay. And he's still probably, you know, I'd say he's about top 12 quarterback, but he's pretty definitively in the top half. And you want to have a top half quarterback. It's really with quarterback this might be the least questionable position on the roster let's move on to a position that we've been asking a lot of questions about and that's running back my big question here is how will the snap split turn out because i don't think it's a matter of will Todd Gurley not get the the full load Uh, i don't he's not going to Uh, i think it's just how much will it be decreased I, i don't i'm not sure about that you know it could he probably got 90% of the work last year. I could see him getting 80%. I could see him getting like 55%. I think to me the two big questions here are how much will of the snaps will he concede? And additionally, who's going to be his backup? Is it going to be Malcolm Brown? Is it going to be Daryl Henderson? Is it going to be a mix of both? Are we going to get kind of a three-headed monster here? Johnny, I'll start with you. You know, How, how would you unpack this question? Well, personally, I wanted to address Brandon Allen, but since you want to move on, I guess we will. <laughs> is he back on the roster? He is, right? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think he is. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, all right. Moving on. Uh, running back. Yeah, so as far as Gurley, yeah, he will be for sure our starter. He's going to take most of the carries, although that's going to diminish a little bit. But who's going to be the main backup? I, I really think it's going to be whoever has the hotter hand each week. And maybe maybe um, you'll have Sean McVay kind of analyzing tape who would do better in this scenario kind of thing. Just because really when you have a guy like, uh, you know, Daryl Henderson, you know he's going to find a way on the field one way or another. And I, I know it's a little too early to tell right now. So I think going into the season – you're going to have Malcolm Brown as the premier backup. But again, as Henderson continues to develop or maybe he develops right away and just comes out the gates, you know, running the ball. But, um, you know, I think it's going to basically come down to, you know, whoever has the hotter hand. And even even with Gurley also, while he'll get still get the most of the carries, if, you know, either Henderson or Brown is – you know, having a really good uh, game, maybe he takes the majority of the snaps uh, as opposed to Gurley. You know, it just, I think it really depends on how McVay wants to run this because there's a lot of possibilities and a lot of potential here. And I think McVay is is kind of rubbing his hands together, you know, just salivating at the opportunity of getting this offense on the field. Yeah, and look, I mean, uh, McVay wasn't afraid to move away from Gurley in the playoffs, clearly. I mean, you could argue the injury was a part of that, but Gurley was out there playing and ran for 100 yards against Dallas. So I, I, I was a little bit in denial about the injury at first, but I still today believe that the injury wasn't the reason why he wasn't playing in those playoff games. I think it was just CJ outplayed him against the Saints, and the Super Bowl was weird all around. But... um yeah, we're going to get to see a lot of Henderson in the preseason and probably a lot of Brown because he's, you know, he's got to get back into form and we saw no Gurley last year in the preseason. I don't see why he'd play this year. So, 
This is going to be a question that we're not going to have an answer to really until week one. But uh, Josh, what do you think on this? Yeah, so I saw something recently, and uh, it basically was saying that I, I forget who tweeted it out, but they were saying that they were hearing that it sounds like the Rams are going to kind of uh, lighten Gurley's workload earlier in the season so that later on in the season he can be more of that, you know, dynamic, all around, every down kind of back. And obviously, they're still going to use Brown and Henderson in those situations as well. But I, I think that they're going to, obviously, depending on the situation and how the offense is operating and things like that, lots of moving parts there. But I think early on, it sounds like they may kind of use Brown and Henderson a little bit more. And then later on in the season, so long as Gurley's still feeling healthy, feeling fresh, uh, start to give him a little bit more of a workload later in the year when we really need him versus, you know, the playoff teams are going for a playoff run, et cetera. I also think that early on, uh, the primary backup would probably be Malcolm Brown just because of his experience in the offense. He's been around the league, you know, he can run, he can pass catch, he can pass block. A lot of rookie running backs struggle with the pass block aspect of that. So, you know, we definitely don't want to get Jared Goff killed in the pocket. And so I think that that's a big, uh, a big thing that Brown will bring to the table. I also think that uh, the Rams will use them a little bit situationally. You know, I think Malcolm Brown is probably going to be a better back in short yarded situations versus Henderson being more of a um, outside run kind of guy. So we'll see how it plays out. But honestly, I'm not worried about it. Um, I know Gurley's dealing with some issues, but I, I think that it's way overblown from from what a lot of media is taking it. And that's just my opinion. But I think that regardless, I mean, we do, we have a three headed monster at running back. So. Yeah. And I think it's the good news is we knew about this injury or at least the team knew more, not us, but they knew about this injury probably in like January. Uh, They're probably getting inklings of what's going on and they've had they're. I'm bad at math. I hate doing math on the fly. I'm just going to say over half a year to prepare for how they're going to handle this in the regular season. Uh, you know, if it is what it is, it's reported as arthritis, it's going to be a bitch for him to deal with personally. But it's also something that could be manageable that if you don't overwork him, he can still perform as he has. Uh, he, You know, he probably was dealing with this during last season. It probably just didn't come out of nowhere. It probably just in that Philly pain you know, the knee probably just flared up more than it had all season. So I think you got to lighten his load a little bit. I don't think it needs to be as crazy as, like, an even split between the three. Personally, I'd like to see, you know, Gurley get maybe 65% of the snaps, uh, really anywhere between 60 to 70, depending on how the game's going, and then see Henderson and Brown split the rest. Uh, Josh, you made great points on, you know, how – Brown and Henderson both bring different things to the table. Brown is a really traditional backup running back. Uh, not the same player as Benny Cunningham was, but kind of similar in that they could do a lot of things good. Not a lot of things great, but from your backup running back, you don't need that. Henderson literally has the most yards per carry in NCAA history, I'm pretty sure, for a career. If it's not that, he's damn close to it. And he's going to be fun to watch and I think I could even see him being on the field with Gurley at times. So I'm really curious to see how they use him. And this uh, this is something obviously all of us will be watching closely. But I do think Gurley is going to get more uh, work than we all think or more importantly people outside 
of you know, Ram, people that follow the Rams think. But I think we can move on to wide receiver here. This one's kind of tough to come up with this question because if the three wide receivers are healthy, Cup, Woods, and Cooks, literally nobody else played when they were healthy and out there. Uh, they literally dominated the wide receiver snaps. So my big question is when Cup got hurt, Josh Reynolds came in and he did pretty damn well. Uh, nothing like eye-popping really or just incredible, but he played well. He was a good wide receiver. So, uh, Johnny, I'll start with you because this is a hot topic on butting heads for the past year. We've, we've flipped. We've 180 on Josh Reynolds. Is he going to do anything? Can he crack the rotation at all? I think uh, I, I think as far as Reynolds is concerned, they he has developed a sort of repertoire with uh, with Jared Goff for sure. So I I think it would be I, I think he would definitely find a way to get on the field. Maybe not nearly as much as we saw in last season, but I, I do think situationally for sure we're gonna we're going to see Josh Reynolds on the field at some point. It won't be like in the first half where he, we didn't see him at all. But with that said, I mean, you know, having cup woods and cooks healthy, there's just no way that he's going to see nearly as much. It's just not possible as much as we'd like to see him out there. Uh, but I, I think there'll be certain packages that McVeigh will have specially for Reynolds, just because he is kind of a different dimensional guy He's a bigger target, and he's someone that can make a big impact, especially closer to the end zone. So, I, absolutely, I do think he'll make some sort of an impact. But to actually make way on the the rotation, it, it's going to be difficult. I was actually halfway expecting the Rams to find a way to trade Reynolds in the uh, NFL draft. Not saying I wanted them to, because to be honest. I think he is a lot more valuable than what people realize. But I was thinking there'll be teams uh, inquiring about him and maybe get an offer that the Rams couldn't refuse. And who's to say that they didn't get those offers? But uh, as we still see that Reynolds is still with the Rams. So I'm kind of actually happy that they didn't give him away. But uh, yeah, I I think it wouldn't be too big of a stretch to see uh, Reynolds out there and participating and having a, you know, a semi-decent season. Yeah, I completely agree with, with that assessment, Johnny. I, I really like Reynolds. I think on, you know, some NFL teams, he could be a three, even a number two receiver for some teams. I think he's that good. I think he's got that kind of talent. We've seen him show great hands at times, make really clutch catches. He's, he's got the ability to, to be a really good wide receiver in the NFL, Unfortunately, he's just kind of in a log jam where he's the fourth guy down the down the line. And you also have to include the tight ends in that, too. You know, I mean, there's only so many targets that can go around and with so many talented playmakers and him being the fourth wide receiver. And, you know, everybody's hoping that the tight end Gerald Everett takes a takes a leap forward this year, too. So, um, you know, I, I think he's got a role on this team. I think, like you said, there will be packages. They'll get him in. He'll get some snaps. I don't think that he's going to, you know, crack 800 yards or anything crazy like that, but I think he's got a role on this team and I'm glad the Rams have him, you know, it's it's a luxury to have a player like him and uh you know that's nice, you know, you see a guy like Cup go down and the offense kind of doesn't miss a beat really. So, you know, great great option to have on the team. 
yeah, it, it's over the last few years, you know, Cup obviously has dealt with his own health problems. Robert Woods, if we remember, he missed a couple games in 2017. So Reynolds, well, I don't think he's the best. He's, he's good. I think it's nice to have him, even if he doesn't play at all while these three guys are healthy. You know, if one of them goes down, we know we have a guy who can contribute and fill in and, quite frankly, do some different things than these guys. If he does have a role while they're healthy, I think we'll see him in some red zone packages because he he was a very productive player in the red zone for the team last year. And that that would really be the spots I'd like to see him. And, you know, we're saying the, the things about how it'd be smart to lighten Gurley's load. It'd probably be smart to lighten Cup's load a little bit too. And all three of these guys, I don't think they need to play every offensive snap. You know, I think you can spell all of them occasionally for a drive or for a couple of snaps and let Reynolds get out there because he brings some different things to the table. He'll make the defenses adjust because guys are going to move around. Uh, Josh Reynolds, he's always in the outside. So, you know, Cooks or Woods will move into the move into the inside when he comes out there if cups off the field it's just it'll give teams a different look I think teams did adjust to us a little bit near the end of the season because we were running the same damn like offensive sets every play pretty much and I think he gives the team a bit the ability as is Henderson to kind of mix it up give him different looks bring guys out there that do different things and you have the weapon you might as well use it I we can move on to tight end the tight end question to me is pretty obvious. It's the most obvious one. Can Gerald Everett take another step and kind of live up to his potential? And more importantly, can he finally take over as the tight end one for Tyler Higby, which we've been hoping he could for the last few years? And while he showed flashes, he's been pretty good. He's made some huge plays, most particularly in that Chiefs game where he had the game-winning touchdown. But you know, for whatever reason, Tyler Higby's still out there, and I don't think any of us are going to sit here and say Tyler Higby is one of the better tight ends in the league. Like, he's fine, but if we could get something better, that would open up the offense even more. And, Josh, I'll, I'll start with you. Can Everett finally take another lead this year and be that guy? Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, I'm a really, really big fan of Everett. Uh, I'm an Everett stan. Like, I'll just admit it. <laughs> I think that – I think he's – I mean, I remember seeing on PFF he was rated, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was rated pretty well. And obviously he didn't have the snaps that the other top guys had, but in his snaps, he played like a top tight end. Uh, I think his blocking's probably only going to get better this year. I think that he'll have a better grasp on the offense and the speed of the NFL game and everything. You know, people forget he came from South Alabama. Like, that's even a step down from coming from, you know, a, a power five conference, you know, like it's, it's a big step in competition and tight ends already one of the positions that take the longest to transition to the NFL. So I'm not worried about Everett. I think he's going to really step up this year. I think we're going to, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing him this season. I think that, you know, like you said, Higby's okay. Um, I think Everett overtakes him this year. I think right out the gate, honestly. So that'd be nice. Uh, I I'm curious because, like you mentioned, he came out of a mid-major school. He was a project coming out, and I think you know, considering that it was year two last year, he's progressed normally. Uh, he's progressed well. He's been getting more and more snaps as the years go on. He's been making more and more plays. I think it's realistic that he could kind of fully take over that job. I hope he does. I hope he's a day one starter. But the good thing for Everett is I don't think it's a huge rush for him. I think they should continue to 
you know, play him as he seems fit to be played. And if he's playing slightly more snaps than last year, so be it. If he fully takes on the tight end one role, that'd be great. But Johnny, I'll pass to you. What do you think? You know, as far as uh, everything you guys have been saying, I, I definitely agree with it. I'll take it a little step further, though, as far as Everett is concerned. he He's basically asked to being a multidimensional tight end, meaning that he can be a pass catcher as well as a, a pass blocker and, and a rush blocker as well. While blocking may not be his forte at the moment, he is developing uh, and, and a little underrated on the blocking side. Nothing spectacular in terms of blocking. But you have to remember that this is this isn't like a larger, larger guy. You know, this he's asked he's being asked to contain some of, you know, these big beasts of uh, defensive linemen, linebackers. It's not easy. You know, again, uh, as mentioned previously, he is coming from a smaller school. You know, he's not used to seeing this kind of competition and he's starting to develop more and more when it comes to that. And not only that, you know, he's progressing as, you know, even more of a weapon under Sean McVay's offensive scheme. I was actually happy to see him being used in like some reverses and and uh, even some rushing plays as well, because he's that athletic. And that's exactly what you'd like to see out of your tight end. You're getting literally the most you can possibly get out of Everett. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of trickery uh, a lot more of the uh fun plays that we're seeing from sean mcveigh and that's just kind of the sean mcveigh effect he brings literally the best out of these players and i think everett is gonna thrive even more with mcveigh uh as as time progresses so uh developing that kind of continuity with uh with uh, jared goff i think this is gonna be one exciting player to watch and He's even drawing attention already from the media. I believe uh, ESPN has already listed him as one of the players to watch uh, during the um, preseason and the regular season. So it's kind of that's kind of a positive thing to see when you're getting you know national media trying to uh, cover you just like that, and not being a well really well known name other than you know uh, diehard fans really. Yeah, you know what they say, you know, if, if you're an offensive player, if you're dynamic, if you're talented, and your name's not Tavon Austin, Sean McVay's going to find a use for you. Uh, and <laughs> I, <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> I, I, he didn't look that bad on Dallas last year, so I don't know, I don't know what happened here. But, um, yeah, I, I think we said enough on Everett. I think, you know, he's clearly talented. He's clearly good, and I'm glad you guys brought up the blocking because if he could really shore that up and become a good blocker, then you know, it's easier said than done, but he'd be great. You know, It's rare. It's why part of the reason why Gronk was so freaking good and probably the best tight end ever is because you know, not only was he impossible to guard, he was a tank blocking people. He would run over guys, and it's rare that you could get a tight end that's the best passing and arguably the best blocking tight end in the game so it's those guys don't come around pretty much ever we may never see that again but let's move on to the last part of the offense and something that i think has been a little under talked about this offseason and could be a frightening reality if it doesn't go well are brian allen and joseph noteboom worthy of stepping in for roger saffold and 
John Sullivan. You know, Sully and Saffold were the starters the last two years. Saffold obviously was the longest tenure guy on the team. Uh, well, I don't think we're going to miss much from Sullivan. He, he's proven that he was an okay center, and Saffold obviously is really good. We're bringing in two guys that haven't proven anything. Noteboom in particular is playing out of position. Uh, Josh, I mean, I'll start with you. Can they handle this? You know, will the offense suffer from them being in, or can the ship stay afloat with those two guys? I think there will definitely be hiccups throughout the season. You know, they're young guys taking over for, I mean, like you said, Sullivan wasn't the best center in the world or anything, but he was a really smart guy, long-tenored. You know, there was a reason he was on a roster. And Saffold, you know, those are big shoes to fill. I mean, big shoes to fill. Now, as to the question of whether or not they can get the job done this year, I think they can. Um, I'm most confident in Joseph Noteboom. I know that the Rams kind of drafted him to be the heir apparent to um, Andrew Whitworth. Uh, but I think that he's got got positional versatility. And we know the Rams like to like to cross-train their offensive linemen anyways. So, you know, I'm sure that he's been getting work at guard and tackle, you know, throughout his time with the Rams so far. So I don't think that as far as, you know, playing guard is going to be be the issue i think it's just going to be a matter of you know getting those nfl starts you know it's different when you're playing actual game reps than when you're in practice um i think the the good news with joseph noteboom is that you know albeit it was preseason but he played well in the preseason last year we saw him take snaps and and do a good job there so i have i have a lot of confidence that he'll step up to the plate He's not going to be Roger Saffold right out the gate. I mean, that's going to take some time, but I think that he can be a really good offensive lineman in this league, and I think he'll be a guard this year, and then hopefully next year he'll be able to take over for Andrew Whitworth. As for Brian Allen, I think that that's a little bit of a different story, a little bit bigger of a question mark. Um, I think that Brian Allen's a very cerebral player, much like uh, John Sullivan was. So I, I think that as far as the like learning the offense and, and calling protections and things like that, I don't think we'll see too much of a problem there. And that's just because, you know, I watch a lot of big 10 football. I know what kind of a guy this guy is just from watching him this past year or not this past year, but watching him when he was in college. Sorry. Um, I think that, you know, the, the positive for him is that John Sullivan wasn't getting the job done always at, at the highest level of play because of his age because of injuries because of things like that he's not he's not some physical specimen anymore that people you know talk about being the best center in the league or anything like that so I think from that perspective you know there's not a huge gap to fill um but we'll see we'll see how it goes I think he's the biggest question mark on the offensive line right now and um I'm anxious to see how that works out uh, early media reports are kind of sounding like him and Jared Goff are, are doing well, but you know, I mean, that's mini camp practice, things like that. We'll see how it goes in game situations. Uh, a, a name not talked about a whole lot though, is Jamil Demby, who's been, you know, getting a lot of hype, um, in the off season so far. So we'll also see, you know, maybe we don't even see Brian Allen. Maybe it ends up being Jamil Demby or something crazy like that. So, um, be, be a fun thing to look out for. It wouldn't be a Rams, podcast twitter article talking about the offensive line without mentioning jameel demby who uh <laughs> when he was cut by the rams you wouldn't think we cut todd Gurley last year but 
<laughs> hey, they brought him back, and yeah, like you said, there has been rumblings that he's been having a good camp that he can play at five positions. So I mean, hell, if he could be the sixth lineman and really help out, and if you know Noteboom or Allen are struggling, he could come in. That would be fantastic. The thing that makes me the most confident about these guys is really just how confident the Rams seem to be in these guys. They made really no effort to replace Saffold and Sullivan, which means that either they just simply couldn't due to money constraints or they really like these guys. You know, I think if they really weren't comfortable with Allen or Noteboom at these starting positions, they would have drafted somebody instead of Daryl Henderson, you would think. Because, you know, even if Gurley's banged up, you still have Malcolm Brown there. So I think the lack of replacing Saffold and Sullivan is a good sign for how Allen and Open were progressing and how competent the team is. And, I mean, look, we're not in practice. All we've seen of these guys is college and preseason. So they really are the people that know how these guys progress and how ready they are. And I kind of trust them here. We don't have a reason not to trust the, the Rams coaches have at this point. So, Johnny, I'll pass to you. How do you feel about it? Well, as far as no boom and, and Allen are concerned, I'll just add this. I, I was never a huge fan of no boom being a left tackle, and I'm still not. Yeah, we know. Uh, I, I've i made that very clear, and, <laughs> and to tell you the truth, I, I really hope that they're not aiming for no boom to be the left tackle of the future. I'm hoping that no boom does a damn good job to the point that they don't want to move him and just keep him at guard. I I really feel like he would make a better NFL guard than a left tackle anyway. So that's why I'm hoping that Noteboom does a really damn good job. This way they can't use the excuse, well, he was out of position, so let's try and move him to left tackle. Uh, But overall, I don't think there's really that much of a concern for me for Noteboom at all. Allen is a little bit of a concern just because we don't know a whole lot about him other than, you know, college tape, basically. And uh, that's all good and well, but this is a whole nother level. So it, it's interesting to see what exactly we're going to get with Allen. But again, I'm not that concerned either just because who he replaced. Again, Sullivan was very great for his career. And I respect it, and just at at that point in his career, he wasn't as effective as he could have been, you know, in his prime, obviously. So it's not like Allen is replacing a pro bowler or at least a, a really damn good, you know, center. That's kind of where No Boom is. I feel like they're going to fill it a little bit more. Not necessarily a jab at No Boom at all. It's just Saffold is a guy that, that played really well. I mean, at times this guy felt like he should have been a pro bowler. So to replace a guy like Saffold will not be easy. And I think that's where you're going to notice it a little bit more on, on no Boom's side of the field, just because Saffold had that side locked down for many years. And with, with Sullivan, it's going to be a little bit of easier of a transition just because there was a little bit more hiccup there than anything. But I'm glad that we that you brought up uh, Demby just because he has been getting a lot of hype. I don't know if I'm uh, a believer just yet, but uh, I think that's kind of what preseason's for, just to see what we're gonna what what we have at least. If he can handle at least preseason competition, maybe he does get his hat thrown into the mix for a starting position. Why not? <laughs> 
I mean, it's kind of open season, really. So we'll we'll see. And and not just Denby, also also some of our rookies too. Maybe they get a shot at the the spot. But I think in reality, though, it's going to probably end up being uh, no boom and Allen for for the starting roles. Yeah. I'd be pretty surprised for it not to be them, and it would have to be a bad camp. And just to come full circle here, the Rams acquired Jadil Dumby with the draft pick they received for trading Tavon Austin. So, fun stuff. All right, but before we continue, guys, we do got to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Jim Hawk, and his book, Hollywood's Team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. Guys, I've read this book recently. If you've been listening, you know uh, this book is awesome. It's a great story. Uh, it tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offset lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out a son's story of his father and the team he, he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. And guys, not only are you going to learn about legendary Rams like Norm Van Brocklin, Crazy Leg Church, Tom Fears, Les Richter, even Bob Waterfield, in a story that spans the 1950s Los Angeles Rams, but also just spans the 1950s in Los Angeles and just kind of in, in the country. You know, it was a different time. You get a lot of insight into what's going on in Los Angeles about how the team, the city was pre-Dodgers, you know, kind of pre-big sports and bringing in the Dodgers. It's just a lot of interesting stuff you're going to learn in this book. And if you want to get your hands on it, you can find it online at hollywoodsteam.com. Uh, you can fo- even follow it on Twitter at hollywoodsteam if you have any questions on how to get it or just with the book itself. It's available in hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It's coming in paperback in September. You can also find it through various other booksellers on the internet. Guys, this book is worth any pe- every penny, any penny, every penny for all Rams fans out there. It's also just a great story and a great book about a person's father and the legacy he left behind. Again, guys, trust us. You don't want to miss out on this. Hollywood's team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's the offseason. It's the perfect time to read this, and it's well worth your time. All right, before we move on to defense, do you guys have any other questions about the offense? Not really, honestly. I feel pretty confident in them. Yeah, I'm yep, with you. Not not really much to, to be concerned about. I think line was really the only position that has, you know, team you know questions that could actually really hurt and impact the team because a girlie's obviously question mark but even if he's not 100 percent or even if he's like 70 percent of what he was last year a that's still really good and b the guys behind him are pretty good so let's move on to defense let's start at the defensive line obviously the big question is how do the rams replace nadamigan sue there's really two routes that they could tame here first is they can move Michael Brockers to nose tackle and start John Franklin Myers at defensive end, but Brockers would rather play defensive end. He's better at defensive end. So if he stays at defensive end. It seems like Greg Gaines, a rookie draft pick, would be the favorite to start defensive tackle. If not him, Tanzel Smart or Sebastian Joseph Day. Uh, Johnny, I'll start with you. I mean, how do you think they approach this? Well, ideally, uh, I, I think we're – I, I think I would prefer to move Brockers into a nose tackle. I, I know he's not he's not a stereotypical nose tackle, but the thing is he he ultimately played uh, nose tackle uh, two years ago before Sue came here, and he did relatively well. 
Like I would argue that he he had a really good season, and shifting him outside just didn't seem natural to him. And granted, I will say he was he's more of a better fit in a four three defense, if I'm going to be honest. But considering he's still very talented in a three four, it's it doesn't hurt to keep him and moving him, you know, interior. I think might benefit him a little bit more than him staying outside despite his preference. And he went on record also in saying that he would do whatever the team asked him to do because, and and that's great because that shows good leadership. So, you know, that's exactly what you want to hear. But one of my other primary reasons for preferring this is to see John Franklin Myers progress. I don't know. And, and really, none of us do until unless we're at the practices, you know, like like Wade Phillips is. I don't know if John Franklin Myers can be a legitimate starter, but we'll never know until we actually try. And I would like to see that just because we did see flashes here and there. And I think John Franklin Myers has a lot of potential. You you add him there with Aaron Donald and we could have something very, very dangerous there. And, you know, if Michael Brockers does come back to what he was doing two years ago, that makes it that much scarier because I would argue that it was even more effective than when Sue was here. So, you know, the other option you mentioned putting, you know, Greg Gaines there or uh, Tenzo Smart or Joseph Day, you know, those those are options as well. And I do have a lot of faith in gains and a lot of faith in day as well. So you, you put those two there and there is potential there, I guess, but there's a little bit more of a learning curve in my opinion than if you were to go the first option. So my vote would to be move Brockers in the interior, have John Franklin Myers on the exterior. I, I think that would be ideal overall in my personal opinion. Yeah, so I, I actually, I've got a little bit of a different take. And uh, so fine. all I've got to say about it really is rotation, rotation, rotation. So uh, keep guys fresh, A. But the way that I see the defense operating, like if I were the one calling the shots, which I'm not, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I would like to see on, you know, obvious run situations, still see Brockers out at defensive end and see Greg Gaines or Joseph Day, somebody like that, at the nose. And then more on past situations, see Brockers move into nose and then see John Franklin Myers out on end uh, for the pass rush. I, I think that would be a great way to go about it. Um, I think that Brockers is a really, really good player against the run, doesn't offer a ton against, you know, a, a ton in the pass rush department. Uh, he's just He's just not that type of a player. I think you're right. He is more suited to a four three, but he's also a really good, really effective player in a three, four. And so I think just kind of keeping guys moved moved around, rotating them in different spots, putting them in the best positions possible, which, you know, we know that uh, Sean McVay and Wade Phillips are really good at doing with their players. So I think you see kind of a, a situational move there where, you know, like I said, play play Brockers at end on on obvious rundowns, and then when it's a pass situation, put him at nose, and let John Franklin Myers do his thing trying to get to the quarterback. Yeah, I guess I'm somewhere in between you guys because honestly, I agree with both of you, Johnny. I think starting Brockers 
putting Joseph Day, or not Joseph Day, uh, John Franklin Myers at end would be the right move. But I'm also with Josh in that we should rotate a lot with these guys. You know, Brocker should be playing both positions. And I think we should get a decent amount of Greg Gaines, a decent amount of John Franklin Myers. Uh, if Joseph Day or Smart beats out Gaines for the job in camp, so be it. But I think, you know, it's we get a lot of rotation on the defensive line anyways, and I think we should definitely situationalize how we're going to do it. Like, you know, like Josh said, maybe it's Franklin Myers being the passing down guy and Gaines being the running down guy. Uh, but ultimately, I do think, yeah, you want to mix it up with these guys and get as many different faces next to Aaron Donald as you can and put guys in position to you know, play their best ball. And I think talent-wise, Franklin Myers and Brockers is the optimal combo because those are the two best guys in this group. But you, know, you might be right. Maybe it's situationally. Maybe Franklin Myers isn't going to be great on rushing downs. Maybe Greg Gaines would be better fit there. And, yeah, I think – I don't know if it's a cop-out, but I, I think you guys both made really good points. I think it'll fall somewhere in between with what you guys are saying. Ooh, you have to pick a side. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I'd pick Johnny's side, but I'm... That like didn't I said, the way I planned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't blow up in your face. But no, I think you get, both points are valid. I think you're both right. I think it'll be somewhere in between that. Uh, but we can move on to linebacker. The big question to me here is, and you guys might have a different question because there's a lot of questions with the linebacker unit. It's how much of an impact can the pass rushing linebackers make? You know, Aaron Donald had 21 sacks from the interior last year. Nobody else had had five or more. Everyone was under five, which probably shouldn't be happening. We bring in Clay Matthews this year. Uh, Clay Matthews, we talked about when we signed him. He's a little bit washed, but he's still got something left in the tank. Dante Fowler, we bring him back. He was somewhat of a disappointment last year, but he did make some massive, massive plays for us, most notably forcing Drew Reese to throw an interception in the NFC Championship. And then you also have Samson Ibukam, who was a bad starter, but with Matthews in there, they could split time, and I think that'll be better for him. Better for Matthews that he's there because Ibu came while he's not a good starter. He's still a decent player. He's going to have a role. And if look, if Clay Matthews can turn back the clock a little bit, if we can use him, uh, you know, not as an every down player and he can really be focused on pass rushing. And if Fowler can be more of the guy he was when he was good than the guy he was when he was kind of invisible, this unit can be pretty good. There's potential here. But uh, Johnny, I'll start with D or. Josh, we'll start with you because I think I just started with Johnny. How big of an impact will this pass rushing unit and I guess the outside linebackers in general have on this defense? Uh, it's a it's a huge question mark in my opinion. Um, I really like Dante Fowler though. Um, I, I I'm really hopeful that you know he kind of turns his career around here this year with the Rams and and becomes the guy that he was drafted to be when he went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I think that, you know, second second season being in this system, I think that helps. Uh, I think that from interviews and everything else, we've seen that this guy wants to be an L.A. Ram, wants to work hard. You know, I think that that's the first step to being a great player is, you know, being happy where you are and, and being willing to put in as much work as it takes to be that type of player. And we obviously know he's got the physical talent. So I think that playing next to Aaron Donald – Year two, I think that we see a lot 
a lot of improvement from last year. You know, he made some flash plays last year. I think this year he becomes more consistent and, you know, we get him to be, be the player that Jacksonville kind of hoped they got in terms of Ebukam and Clay Matthews. Uh, yeah, I, I, not a huge fan of Clay Matthews just because like you said, he's, he's kind of washed, but I, I do still think he brings a little something to the table and if nothing else, you know, he brings a little bit of that veteran savvy to the defense too. So I like that. Um, Ebukam's probably the biggest question mark on, on defense, honestly, to me in terms of the linebackers, just because physical talent, like raw talent is just like off the charts. Like the guy should be able to be one of the best in the league based on his physical abilities. Um, obviously he came out of Eastern Washington. So, I mean, again, a small school player might take a little longer to develop. So we'll see how that works out, but he's definitely, I would say a player that I would consider sort of, you know, on the hot seat per se. So we'll see how that works out. But honestly, I think that, we see a, a better pass rush this year than we did last year in terms of players producing other than Aaron Donald. I, I think that we'll see them take a, take a step forward. I think another uh, question that a lot of fans have is how the inside linebacker uh, rotation is going to kind of work out. And uh, so we'll see how that plays out. I really like Micah Kaiser. I think that he can be a really good player in this defense. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, we, in the in the article and we'll probably talk about it in the podcast obviously when we get to safeties we'll talk a little bit about micah kaiser i think because there's some somehow defenses are weird now but inside linebacker and safety are similar on this team but you you brought up ebu cam and how you know he has a lot of potential i think he'll benefit from matthews being there for two reasons one it's gonna allow him to play less you know he's not at this point in his career, he's not an every-down player. He had a huge game against the Chiefs. You know, we don't win that game without him. But he also you know, lacked at times. And um, he, when he was the number one guy with Matt Longacre there, it was pretty brutal. Fowler kind of saved him. But Matthews will benefit both these guys too because he's just a vet. He knows how to get to a quarterback. And they're they're going to learn a lot from him. And I think he's he came here to teach, I'm sure, and also play. I think that... He's going to kind of have a chip on his shoulder. And one thing that's important about Clay Matthews is just the gravity of Clay Matthews being across from you. I mean, you're not that scared when Samson Ibukam is across from you. You're really not that scared when Dante Fowler is across from you. You have to worry about him a little bit more than Ibukam or Longacre last year. But when Clay Matthews is across from you, you have to pay attention to him. Because if you don't, he's going to get to the quarterback. Even in his old age right now, He's not the the complete player he once was, but he can still get to a quarterback, and everyone's going to benefit that. Uh, but, Johnny, I'll pass it to you because I don't want to take a lot of time here. Well, I was like, well, damn, I'm Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just to add a little bit, because to be honest, you guys kind of said it all there. Um, at, are the Rams taking a step forward by having Clay Matthews? In a way, yes. Obviously not long-term. But consider this, Matt Longacre was our starting, you know, outside linebacker. Yeah, that, that's going to change, you know, with Clay Matthews. That's already an upgrade. That's already an, an upgrade. So even in Clay Matthews' older age, he's leagues ahead of Matt Longacre. And, and you know, 
to be fair with Longacre, he was kind of out of position anyway. So it, it was just, you know, we didn't have anyone there. That's all what it boiled down to. And that's why they ended up going after Dante Fowler. Now, Fowler, I think, is going to improve. He uh, And I'll make no bones about it. Fowler's my boy. That's the guy I've been wanting for the Rams to get for the longest time. And when we got him, I, I was so happy. I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I was because I think this guy has a lot of potential. We still haven't seen it yet. And one of the reasons being is because, I mean, dude came in middle of the season. You know, it, it's it's not an easy transition. It's not as simple as, OK, line up right there. You're going to get the quarterback. No, there's a lot of things you have to do. And for him to come in and, you know, dominate, it wasn't going to happen. And I think that's what people were wanting to see was to see him to step up and dominate. And, you know, towards the end, he showed flashes of dominance you know, here and there, but, you know, to actually come into this system and dominate right away, it wasn't going to happen. Now that he actually has a full, you know, at least a full off season under his belt with Wade Phillips, with the entire defense, I'm sure he was, you know, learning from guys like Aaron Donald, guys like Clay Matthews. Uh, th- this is going to be exciting to see what he can do. And I think we're going to see a rejuvenated Dante Fowler. As far as Ibu Cam, um, I think this is a guy that you want as uh, off the bench. That's exactly what his role is going to probably be, is just to come off the bench and, you know, split time with Clay Matthews, which is exactly what you'd want anyway, because while Matthews is a step up of from, uh, from Matt Longacre, he's still an older guy. He's still not going to be that guy that's going to be a dominant starter. So to split carries with the Ibukam, I think it's the best situation for the Rams at this moment, at least until the Rams can get, you know, that bona fide, you know, edge rusher that we've been longing to get for a long time. So, yeah, the, I think this is going to be a step in the right direction, just maybe not a long-term solution. Right. And, yeah, you may, we I think we all made this point. Ibukam and Matthews splitting time. No matter what the timeshare there is, it's going to benefit both of them very well. And this this unit can't be worse than it was last year. Fowler's going to settle in the system. He's going to be a better player. How much better remains to be seen. But uh, Matthews brings something to the table. How much he brings to the table, you know, is he bringing a side or is he bringing a full entree? It remains to be seen. But uh, I, I'm interested in this unit. It's going to be a fun one to watch. And we'll go to safety next because uh, – Josh, you touched on Micah Kaiser being the inside linebacker. The Rams, after trading back in the draft about 4,000 times, uh, they ended up grabbing Taylor Rapp at 61 near the end of the second round, a safety. Now, to me, at first, it kind of struck me as odd because John Johnson and Eric Weddle will dominate the, the snaps at safety. They're not guys that need to come off the field. They're guys that are going to play probably every down. But... When you really dig into what happened, you know, with this team, when Mark Barron missed the first four games of the season, they split time between Ramick Wilson and safety Marquis Christian. Uh, and when Barron came back, Wilson kind of just vanished off the defense and settled in as a special teams player. But Christian stuck around and got snaps, really filling in for Barron as kind of a third safety and being like a hybrid linebacker type player, like Barron was kind of early in his Rams career. 
So to me, it seems like you draft Taylor Rapp, and he kind of fills that role. And because they're, you know, Micah Kaiser stepping in, like Allen and Opum, no experience. We don't have no idea what we're going to get there. I think it's likely that we see the same kind of Ramick Wilson, Marquis Christian split with Kaiser and Rapp. And I think he kind of takes that job from Christian. And hell, he could even become what Mark Barron was. Uh, Josh, I'll pass it to you. I mean, how much Rapp do you think we see this year? And I guess, in addition, you know, do you think he splits time with Kaiser? Or do you think Kaiser kind of dominates those steps? Um, yeah, so I, I kind of waited to talk uh, talk about the Micah Kaiser thing a little bit just because I knew we were going to get to this point. And yeah, I completely agree with you. I think we're going to see him kind of take that Mark Barron role um, a little bit and that Marky Christian role a little bit. I think, uh, you know, obviously I think that at times the Rams are going to run, you know, a, a big safety uh, defense. So we'll have three safeties out there at times. And so I think he fills that role. And then, uh, you know, obviously he's a good player to have if for whatever reason Weddle or John Johnson were to go down with injury for any amount of time. I think that that's a great thing to have, that insurance policy, so to speak. But I honestly think that what's going to happen is we're going to see Micah Kaiser on rundowns, and I have a lot of confidence in his ability to get the job done there. And then I think we'll see uh, we'll see Taylor Rapp come in on those passing situations where, you know, he can play the run because he, he played in the box quite a bit at Washington and, uh, you know, we'll see him, he'll have a lot more coverage ability than traditional, you know, run stuffing inside linebackers. So I, I think that that's going to be his role. I think he'll get plenty of snaps. And then, you know, obviously I think down the road, we see him take over as a, as a safety, um, you know, and, and we'll see how that works out, you know, exactly where they move guys around and such. But I think that he's got a definite role on this team and I'm really happy to have him on the Rams. Yeah, you know, whether it's Weta leaving or whether it's they can't afford to pay John Johnson, which is unfortunately a possibility down the line, uh, you don't you don't draft a safety when you already have two good safeties without the intention of finding use for him, and I think they will use him. Uh, I also just got to throw out, I like Dakota Allen. I think there's a chance he takes some snaps at inside linebacker for Kaiser, but uh, that might just be pure emotion. Johnny, what are your thoughts on how, how much rap we'll see next year? I think how much rap we see it will largely depend on how much uh, progression that we see of Micah Kaiser. If Micah Kaiser steps up and becomes the player that we were hoping he would become last season, uh, we probably don't see as much of rap as we might initially think. You know, especially if Micah Kaiser is doing so well, why bring in rap unless it's for situational, uh, you know, place you know there's no reason to bring him in if Micah Kaiser's doing really well now all things considered I highly doubt Micah Kaiser is gonna be that guy to be that every down you know inside linebacker that we hope that he can become so I think it will be kind of like you guys were were suggesting that it'll it'll be like a, a duo there where we have some situations where Micah Kaiser will be you know, having the majority of the um, snaps and then you have you then you have Taylor Rapp coming in, you know, becoming that third safety out there, which works from time to time. So it just I think it, it will largely depend on on Micah Kaiser. But I, I do like this, um, you know, draft of of Taylor Rapp for a reason, because it brings that added, you know, presence there that the Rams kind of needed. 
you know, bringing in rap there is, is a solid pick. Not only that, because he's more than likely going to be Eric Weddle's replacement. So I, I like this signing a lot. So I, I do think Taylor Rapp will see a, a, a larger role than what we initially think, but we'll see. Hopefully Kaiser is going to be that secret weapon that uh, we really need at, at the linebacker position. The one thing that concerns about Kaiser is Remick Wilson wasn't good and Kaiser didn't even sniff snaps, but I, you know, I, because as you mentioned, they didn't really make an effort to add another linebacker. I, I think they're confident in him too. And we did like him coming out of the draft. At least I, I think Johnny and I did. I liked him a lot. So I was happy with that pick. We'll move on to the final position here. Uh, we're not going to do special teams because there's literally no questions at special teams. We'll go to cornerback and not a lot of questions here either. Peters and Tlaib are going to be the starters. Roby Coleman's going to be the guy to the slot. Troy Hill's probably going to be the first cornerback off the bench. David Along, who we all liked a lot, uh, probably going to be kind of a redshirt year here. Uh, we'll see more of him next year, depending on what happens with Peters and Tlaib. My question for cornerback is, you know, what does contract year Marcus Peters look like? Peters is a very emotional player. He wears him on his sleeves. He's one of the biggest personalities in the league. We all love him for it. And look, when he's on, he's on. He's very good. He was kicking ass when him and Tlaib Tlaib were out there together for the most part. But when Tlaib wasn't out there, the results could be horrifying at times, most notably when he got completely bitched by Michael Thomas for an entire game. But uh, Peters was obviously a roller coaster, and this is going to be the big year for him because he's going to set himself up for either a big, big contract. Cornerbacks make a lot of money. Or not a big contract. And, you know, if he gets a huge contract, it might not be here. But if he performs well enough to earn that huge contract, it's still a win for the Rams. Uh, Johnny, we'll start with you here. What do what do we get from Peters this year? I think we'll see a continuation of where he left off. Like, he... he for For a lot of the year, especially the early half of the year, he didn't do that well. And that's disappointing. A, a lot of it had to do with Aqib Tlaib going down. But I do think he learned a lot from it. And, and I think people gen, generally just kind of don't give him the benefit of the doubt there. You know, he, he, in my opinion, is a specific type of cornerback. He isn't, you know, that shutdown corner that people were hoping he would be. That's more along the lines of what Aqib Tlaib brings to the table, which is why when Peters um, was kind of out there by himself, you know, he was struggling because he was trying to do another job essentially. But even if Tlaib goes down, we have, you know, we have a, another shutdown corner and long, hopefully he can make that leap into the NFL and be that kind of guy. I'm not suggesting he'll be a key to but he can certainly be a much better option out there than, say, you know, Roby Coleman or Troy Hill or, you know, basically any of those other guys that were there last year. So I, I think more or less you'll see a much better Marcus Peters out there, especially because he's going to want to get paid. He is. And if he plays like he did with Talib, 
he deserves to get paid because that's the kind of corner you want. You know, again, if if you're looking for him to be that shutdown corner, I think you're going to be severely disappointed. And I think that's kind of what the, the Rams had hoped in, in uh, Peters is that he might be eventually be that shutdown corner. But, um, yeah, he, he he's more of a compliment than he is uh, a, a true shutdown corner, in my opinion. And we'll see what he brings to the table this year. And I love Peters. I'm excited. And, Johnny, I got to say, I appreciate that the picture you put for Peters in the article has Jared Cook in the background uh, losing a play. <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed that, and I'm very happy. But <laughs> I thought you might like that. Love it. Uh, Josh, we'll pass it to you. What, what are your expectations for Peters this year? I think Peters is going to ball out, honestly. Uh, I think that we saw at times last year he played really well. Uh, at times he really struggled. And I think that that's just the nature of Marcus Peters. I think that's always going to be the nature of Marcus Peters to an extent. Last year, especially the Saints game, it was probably the worst performance he's ever had in the NFL um, that I can remember anyways. Um but I, I think that he's a guy who, you know, you have you have different types of corners. You know, you you get a guy like a Jalen Ramsey or a Patrick Peterson, and they're just a true shutdown corner. They just stop everything. And then you have a guy like Marcus Peters, where he plays like that at times, but essentially he's a turnover machine. You know, you you look for him to get picks, fumble recoveries, you know, the the really splash plays. But with Peters, you also have to take the bad with the good. And that's just the nature of who he is as a player. He's a gambler, and that's that's just the nature of, of his game. I think that he's going to play really well. I think Marcus Peters in a contract year is uh, dangerous for the rest of the NFL. You know, I think that he's got a chip on his shoulder. I think that especially, uh, I think when he plays the Saints, I think that we're going to see Marcus Peters come out and play better than he's ever played before. I think that he's got a big chip on his shoulders with that team. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to be looking to shut people up this year. And uh, I think he's also going to be looking to hopefully earn a big contract. And whether that's with the Rams or another team, you know, I think that I, I think he's going to be a highly motivated player. And with a with a guy of his talent, I think that's a dangerous combination. So I think we're going to see him play really well long term. I don't know if he ends up with the Rams or not, but, you know, whatever happens, happens. I think that uh Talib's a, a great corner across from him and truly makes a really dangerous cornerback combination. And then you got uh, Nikhil Roby Coleman there at the slot. And, you know, hopefully he puts some people on a Waffle House frying pan this year, too. Nikhil Roby Coleman, who uh, incidentally got us to the Super Bowl. Uh, it happened. <laughs> uh, but Cry about uh, it. You know, all he had to do was turn around and swat the ball, and there wouldn't have been any controversy, but regardless, it happened. Uh, <laughs> that's something else. Uh, all right, well, that was a lot of fun, guys. Josh, how did your budding heads debut go? Uh, it was a great time, guys. Thanks for having me on. This was, this was really cool. I'm glad that I got to make my budding heads debut, and hopefully you guys can bring me on again sometime. We absolutely will. Uh, all right, well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Don't forget, guys, you could find our this preview article with these questions and a little in-depth about them at ramstalk.net. We're churning out content. I know Josh is churning it out. Johnny's churning it up. Uh, I admittedly wasn't, but I'm back with this piece, and I'll be getting more out there. And you could find, obviously, it's ramstalk.net, 
And if you want to follow us on social, you can find us at facebook.com slash Rams Talk, Twitter dot, or not, at Ram, Talk Rams on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at C. Ribeiro, Johnny, Johnny five, not six, and Josh at RN underscore Kylo. And don't forget, like, subscribe, rate us wherever you're getting your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, the whole nine yards. For Josh, for Johnny, this is Steve Ribeiro. We'll talk to you guys soon. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history still in the make? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.